This is The Hash Out, a podcast at the intersection of sports and cannabis made by and for the people that love both. This podcast is intended for adults. Due to adult themes and content, listeners' discretion is advised. Welcome, everyone, to the second episode of Hash Out Historians. My name is Chandler Songer, and today I'm going to be sharing the story of Mike Tyson, the undisputed champ of heavyweight boxing who has found himself as a fixture of cannabis culture in the United States. Once pained by years of addiction and controversy, we will follow Tyson from his first days as a boxer to his most recent endeavor, the creation of Tyson Ranch in California. Once again, this is Hash Out Historians. Michael Gerard Tyson was born in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, New York City on June 30, 1966. Throughout his childhood, Tyson lived in and around neighborhoods with high rates of crime, and he engaged in petty theft and fighting that led to him being arrested 38 times by the time he was 13 years old. Tyson says his first fight was against an older bully who ripped the head off of his pigeon, and he would go on to fight dozens of kids who made fun of him for his weight and his lisp. He ended up attending the Tryon School for Boys in Johnstown, New York, where Bobby Stewart, a juvie counselor and former boxer, first discovered Tyson's potential in the ring. Stewart introduced Tyson to Cus D'Amato, the legendary boxing manager and trainer who also handled the careers of Hall of Famers Floyd Patterson and Jose Torres. When Tyson was just 16 years old, his mother, Lorna Smith Tyson, passed away. He was left in the care of Customato, who would eventually become his legal guardian. Reflecting on the short time he had with his mother, Tyson said, I never saw my mother happy with me and proud of me for doing something. She only knew me as being a wild kid running the streets, coming home with new clothes that she knew I didn't pay for. I never got a chance to talk to her or know about her. Professionally, it has no effect, but it's crushing emotionally and personally. Before going pro, Tyson won at the Junior Olympic Games in 1981 and 82. He made his professional debut at the age of 18, beating Hector Mercedes by technical knockout in Albany, New York. From there, his rise was meteoric. He would fight 15 times in the first year of his career alone, and would go on to win 26 of his first 28 fights by knockout or TKO. Once he had racked up a serious knockout streak, he was seen as the next great challenger in heavyweight boxing. But D'Amato, his trainer and guardian, would die in 1984 before Tyson ever scored a televised bout. Many believe that the loss of his mentor, along with his mother in short order, left Tyson reeling emotionally, and accounts for much of his erratic behavior in the years that followed. After beating the hell out of pretty much anyone that came across his path, Tyson finally had the chance to vie for the WBC belt on November 22, 1986. He secured a technical knockout victory in the second round against Trevor Berbick, and became the youngest heavyweight champ ever at the age of 20 years old. 
He would go on to become the first heavyweight ever to own the WBC, WBA, and IBF titles simultaneously, solidifying him as the undisputed champion of heavyweight boxing. He would remain at the top of his game until 1990, when he lost his first professional fight against Buster Douglas amid troubles in his personal life and controversial coaching decisions. The loss was seen as one of the greatest underdog victories in the history of sports, with Tyson sitting as a 42-1 favorite going into the fight. While he would win the next three fights in an attempt to come back from the Douglas fight, his career would take a major turn in 1991. In July of that year, Tyson was arrested in Indianapolis, Indiana on rape charges after a hotel room encounter with an 18-year-old pageant queen. Tyson, then represented by Alan Dershowitz, was found guilty and sentenced to six years in prison and four years of probation, though he would be released in March 1995 after serving less than three years of his sentence. After being paroled from prison, Tyson won his first comeback fight that grossed a U.S. record $63 million in pay-per-view fees. Less than a year out of prison, he had already regained the WBC title and became one of just seven boxers ever to regain the heavyweight title after losing it. The crazy tale of Tyson hit new extremes in 1997, when during a rematch against former champ Evander Holyfield, Tyson was disqualified for biting Holyfield on the ear twice, resulting in a chunk of his ear being found on the mat after the fight. Tyson was fined millions of dollars and was stripped of his boxing license in Nevada though it would be reinstated just a year later. He continued fighting until 2005, when he shocked the world and threw in the towel mid-fight against Kevin McBride, retiring immediately after the fight in a press conference. Looking back on his career, Tyson told USA Today, quote, My life has been a waste. I've been a failure. I just want to escape. I'm really embarrassed with myself and my life. Once winning over $300 million from his fights, Tyson had fallen into bankruptcy by just 2003, to the tune of roughly $23 million worth of debt. He hoped the end of his fighting career would bring some sort of solvency to his personal life. But at first, it continued to be much of the same. He started promoting companies after mocking other athletes for putting on a fake front to make money. He was arrested in Scottsdale, Arizona in 2006 and eventually pled guilty to a DUI and possession of cocaine that resulted in three more years of probation. He fought paparazzi and motorists in road rage incidents, but he also decided to go to rehab. Tyson had been plagued by substance issues in the past, even having a professional win overturned for refusing to take drug panels and eventually testing positive for marijuana. According to Alex Papademus in GQ, by the time Tyson was 12 years old, he had already tried Mad Dog 2020, Brass Monkey, Cocaine, Weed, Hash, Opium, Acid, and Angel Dust. Since retiring from boxing, he's been far more transparent about his abuse problems and the extent to which they touched his life and career. A self-proclaimed relapse artist, Tyson has admitted to going on and off of Zoloft to trigger his aggression in the ring, smoking weed during training camps and even directly before fights, and experimenting with morphine drips, constantly chasing a high or finding a competitive advantage through drugs. 
The key to much of his moving on from hard drugs has been his love affair with marijuana. Tyson has never been shy about his love for the green stuff, dating back to his time in the ring and it landing him one of his six ever losses. But personally and professionally, marijuana gave Tyson a chance to maintain relevance and cash in during the process. He's the founder of his own weed resort, Tyson Ranch. At its inception, the ranch was a much smaller operation with different objectives. The first meetings featured Tyson speaking with sports journalists, doctors, and cannabis advocates about the potential of cannabis to help with sports-related injuries and trauma. Many of those that partook were lifelong athletes that spoke on the horrors of opioid painkillers and intense medicine regimens they ended up on as a result of their careers, and how, in every case, cannabis had assisted in pulling them out of pain and depression. These days, Tyson Ranch looks a little bit different. A nearly 420-acre chunk of land bordering Palm Springs is well on its way to being a cannabis carnival, complete with a hotel, cultivation classes, sites to purchase and consume marijuana, the world's longest lazy river, and more. What was once a small pot startup has blossomed into a full-on compound, with the help of business partners like Rob Hickman and Venom from a Toad found in the southwest United States. In the midst of his cannabis excursion, Tyson met Dr. Jerry Sandoval, a Mexican obstetrician turned advocate for DMT, the dream particle, known for creating deep, intense trips lasting 15 to 20 minutes. After hearing about the properties of DMT on his podcast, Tyson smoked the substance three times back to back to back and found himself changed as a result. Ever since that experience, Tyson believes he feels more whole and less aggressive less at odds with the person inside of his own head and comfortable in his own skin. That experience, paired with his continued usage of marijuana, has created in many people's minds a new version of Mike Tyson. One that doesn't react to every conflict with a punch, that cares more deeply and sincerely about the people around him, and that can find new relevance in a society maybe losing sight of his dominance in the boxing ring. Since his DMT revelations, he's continued expanding the ranch and even tried his hand at music festivals on the property. Today, it looks more like the vision he had a few years back, though with a few caveats. While Tyson holds cultivation classes on site, no product is being grown in his name on the ranch and likely won't for a very long time. In fact, any bud that's sold on the premises is generated by large corporate grow-ops in the state that dump their product into a jar with Tyson's name on it and sell it at a markup. Essentially, Tyson isn't actually running the cutting-edge property he thinks he is. More than anything, he's using his existent brand and social capital to help secure consistent business and turn him into a sort of weed influencer. When he first pitched the idea of creating Tyson Ranch, the project looked like one that would turn him into the king of cannabis in California, resisting the traditional urge to open dispensaries and becoming the cultivator himself. Instead, Tyson has admitted that the plans for the ranch were not his own at all, but the brainchild of his business partner, Rob Hickman, who has become a sort of yes-man for the former heavyweight champ. A branding entrepreneur and movie producer, Hickman found himself in the cannabis industry buying and selling land from cultivators. He created a team of like-minded professionals scalping talent from his rivals and utilized them in creating the idea of Tyson Ranch. 
He justifies their business model by explaining that, by not growing any product of their own, they're, quote, not burdened with bad crops. We're not burdened with legalities. We're selling paper, packaging, and market share. To many inside the industry, this process is more of an attempt to sell Tyson's brand than any form of meaningful product, something that real cultivators in the States might scoff at. But as Justin Bieber wedges his way into the conversation with Peach's pre-rolls and other celebrities try their own hand at the trade, who's to say that the cannabis industry at present is anything more than selling a name and an idea? Even then, it becomes hard to reconcile Tyson's post-career success and redemption with the troubles that plagued him his entire career. Hickman, the man he chose to put in charge of his weed empire, doesn't seem to think that Tyson's past action should have any bearing on his current endeavor. He specifically chose to partner with Tyson over other celebrities like Snoop Dogg, because according to Hickman, Tyson had a one-of-a-kind story to tell. Marijuana had turned the former earbiter and baddest motherfucker on the planet into a calm, cool, and collected dad in his 50s, changed from a drug addict of multiple decades into the quintessential family man. As Hickman said about Tyson's marijuana use, it's changed his life. He's the perfect person. But would the perfect person continue to deny the rape charges against him even 20 years after the fact? Would he genuinely think that becoming a weed tycoon would make up for the years of physical abuse he had directed at other people? Would he throw his name and face on a product and call it his own even when it's not? Regardless of how one feels about Mike Tyson and the life he's lived up until now, it's pretty evident that this particular part of his redemption arc isn't all it's cracked up to be. Being the king is a feeling that Tyson became acclimated to throughout his 20-plus years as a heavyweight. But to become the king of cannabis is a completely different kind of endeavor, one that Tyson might not yet be prepared for. And even if he is, the public may not. For Ash Out Historians, this has been Chandler Songer with the tale of Mike Tyson. 